If you've got your Bibles tonight, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 as we continue our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, a series titled, The More Things Change, The More They Stay the Same. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. I want to speak to you tonight on this subject, building up the body. Jerry Vines writes in his book, and I've said this several times, he writes in his book, Corinthian Confusion, that no book of the Bible has more to say to the church than Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. The church at Corinth was a microcosm of all the good things and the bad that characterized God's people in assembly and fellowship. The problems Paul spoke to as he sought to help the Corinthians become spiritually mature have a different time and cultural setting from those that we encounter today, but many of our problems are of the same nature. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, beginning reading at verse number 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we bow our hearts and our heads before you tonight, asking your blessings upon the reading of your word. God, may that word that's spoken and spoken about get down into our hearts. And then, Father, may it ooze out of us that others might see it and you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jeff's not a prophet. He just saw the clouds coming. And uh, apparently, he's smart enough to know that, he, that the rain was coming because we can hear it. I hope everybody got their windows rolled up. As we've seen in the introductory verses of 1 Corinthians, Paul first tells them who they are. We've talked about that, what they have in Jesus. Then he jumped right into the unpleasant problems troubling the local and early church there in Corinth. He told the Corinthians, and we've looked at that, where to find wisdom, the wisdom of God found in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last time, it's actually been several weeks ago because of homecoming and one thing or another, we were in Corinthians, Paul told us how to build for eternity. And tonight we're going to look at building up the body. That's extension. He segues into this from how to build for eternity into how to build the body. Uh, my son, Montana, who's home for the summer, uh, by the way, my dad and mom's here tonight. Thank you for being here. Uh, and first thing Poe was telling my daddy that I was telling stories about him this morning in here, right off the bat. Didn't give him no, no slack on that. And daddy, I was telling stories about you this morning. 
and they were good. Uh, talking about how good he could beat me at sports when I was growing up. But Montana likes to lift weights. And now that he's home for the summer, of course, I hear, Daddy, you're getting old. Won't you come lift weights with me? And, of course, if I try to get out of it, uh, then he'll, you know, tell me how I'm getting weak and old and all this stuff. So then he'll challenge my manhood, and I've got to go with him. Well, then I go with him, and I come back home hurting because uh, he's young and he can do all that. And it takes me two or three days to recover, and within an hour or two, he's ready to go again. Uh, but one thing I've learned is I, whether you're my age or you're Montana's age, anywhere in between, you're never going to get stronger until you work those muscles that you want to get stronger. Amen? That's right. Uh, I remember when I was... Uh, planning on running that marathon in August Tommy and, and me and Tommy and Donna and April and Josh are going up to West Virginia and we're going to run a, this race called a, a Spartan race and you got to train for that and, and I remember uh, getting ready to run that marathon back in January we're getting ready to run this thing in August and there's certain steps you had to go through and one thing I can promise you that I learned in that it's when you're preparing to run 26.2 miles. You can do all the one and two mile runs you want. I mean, you could do one and two mile runs every single day, and it ain't going to get you ready to run that 26.2 miles. You do a bunch of one mile runs on the race day, when you try to do 26.2, you're going to be hurt. Uh, our spiritual life, in a sense, is the same. We've got to work those muscles and build those muscles, I'm using muscles figuratively there uh, for our spiritual life, if we're going to grow and become stronger. Now Paul wrote this epistle to the Corinthian church because as he said over and over that they were weak, that they were immature, that they were not growing in the proper way that they should. Uh, they were still some following Cephas, some following Paul, they was arguing and fighting they were looking to the world for wisdom instead of looking to the proper place. Uh, and in a sense, what Paul was saying to them, listen, you're not going to get big, strong muscles by going in there and picking up them little three-pound dumbbells that you see at Walmart on the shelf. You've got to get in there and pick up them big old dumbbells and work them things if you're going to get stronger. And then he gives them kind of a plan on how to do that. Ephesians 6 tells us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his uh, might. And Paul understood that. And he said, listen, Corinthian church, I want you to be strong. I want you to be strong in the Lord. I want you to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he goes on and he talks about that here in what we read uh, tonight. So he piggybacks on building up uh, uh, the for eternity into building up the body or the church individually and collectively. So... Tonight, for just a few minutes, I want to share with you three factors that we can see here in us growing stronger as individuals so that we then grow stronger collectively together uh, as a church. Factor number one, know who or where you are. Know who or where you are. Paul talks about that there in verse number 16. He says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Know where you are. 
You're the temple of God. Hey, Corinthians, you've forgotten something, something that's so important. You are the temple of God. One of the things that um, me and Montana do when we go lift weights is we'll get there, and, and I'm just going to pick a, a weight. Say we're going to do uh, uh, squats where you put the weight on your shoulders and you squat that thing. Is we'll get there, and Montana will put this big old huge stack of weights on each side about like that. And he'll squat them things, and when he does, the bar will be bending in the middle. There's so much weight on each side of that thing. Well, then after he's done, it's my turn. And you know what the first thing I do is? I start taking weight off each side of that thing. Because the very first thing I've got to understand is know where I am and who I am and what I'm capable of doing. When I started doing the marathon thing, uh, I didn't couldn't start out running 26 miles. I had to do the one, the two, the three because one of the most important things for us to understand a factor as we begin to grow in strength, building up the body for the Lord is know where we are. Well, Paul tells us exactly where we are and we start out in a very good place. He says right there, you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, I want to share with you something tonight. I hope this is something that encourages you. As I studied this, it encouraged me. Now, you've heard me say before, I'm no Greek scholar. But I got this wonderful tool on the computer. I paid $1,200 for that thing called Logos Bible Study. And you can pull up an English Bible here and another English Bible here. And then you can have a Greek Bible here. And then right down here, there's this wonderful thing that literally translates that Greek into English word for word for you. And as Paul is writing this, it, 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 I learned that there's two Greek words that could be translated temple of God or temple, uh, sanctuary. Uh, one of them was the Greek word hiera. H, it's transliterated H-I-E-R-A. And it literally means the temple complex. So in your minds, think about this. Uh, Solomon built the temple. You know, David wanted to build it and God wouldn't let David because he was a man of war. But he said, David, your son's going to complete this uh, uh, temple. And, of course, that's exactly what Solomon did. And it was this grand uh, buildings and grand complex that the, the children of Israel had to, to worship. And it was very uh, a big part of their national identity. And Solomon completed that thing. But that word, Hiera, literally means the complex as a whole. You see, there was a lot of buildings uh, in the temple. You had the outer court, which was walls, and then there was ground that was inside of those walls, and, and, and then you had the inner court complex. And the outer court complex, anybody could come to. It was called the court of Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, either one could enter in there. But then you had the inner court. And in the inner court, only the family could go in. So Gentiles were not allowed in there. Only the Jewish people. And then inside of that, you had the holy place. And only the priests that were given, that were called of God, that were uh, tasked with ministering for God to the people of God could go into that place. But right in the very center of that, and y'all know this, you're, you're all biblical scholars in here, there was that place called the Holy of Holies, right? Right in the center of that thing. Well, that word hiera literally refers to the whole complex, 
So not just the sanctuary, but it referred to the bathrooms and, and to, the, to the ground around that, to the walls, every single part of that complex. But that's not the word that Paul used here when he wrote to the Corinthians and said, you are the temple. He used a word called Naomi. Uh, that's the best was translated N-A-O-M-I into, into English. And it literally means the holy place. Now you stop and think about that. Paul's not saying that you're the temple complex. You know about the holy of holies. I mean, it was the place literally where God's presence resided. And it was so holy in there that not even a Jewish person could enter in. And once a year, the high priest and only the high priest on the Day of Atonement, the Jewish people would sacrifice those goats and they would sacrifice those lambs. And the, and the high priest would take that blood of those sacrificed animals and he would, with fear and trembling, enter into the Holy of Holies. Um, what would happen? The Jewish people would tie bells to the high priest and they would tie a rope around the high priest's waist. And... and he and he alone would go into the Holy of Holies. Why did he wear bells? Well, if the bells stopped ringing, they, and he is in the presence of God, they'd know that something had happened and God had struck him dead. They had the rope around him, so if them bells stopped ringing because he was struck dead. Do you remember this morning when we were reading in Genesis and, and Jacob wrestled with, with God and he said, and I'm going to call this place Penuel face of God because I have seen the face of God and lived. You see, God is so holy that when sinful man comes into the presence of holy God, something has to give. And historically, biblically, what we've seen is when that something that gives, it's when people come into the presence of God, they die. high priest would go in there on that day of atonement and he would take that blood and he would pour it upon the altar. The presence of God resided there in the holy of holies. God would be there and he would accept that sacrifice. For a year the Jewish people's sins would be washed away. Now you stop and think about that. That's the word that Paul used. Let me, let me put that what all I just told you. Know ye not that you are the holy of holies where God resides and that the Spirit of God you remember the Ark of the Covenant? God meticulously laid that thing out for Moses how it would be built and between those two cherubim he said my presence will dwell well Paul's saying here that's all changed now you see God asked for a, 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 a temple where he could dwell and now he says I'll dwell in my people 
And they'll literally be the holy of holies where the Spirit of God lives and resides. And that's what Paul's saying. And, and church, I say that tonight to you to encourage you. Where are we? Well, I'll tell you where we are. The Shekinah glory of God dwells in us. And that's something that ought to make us shout. The holy of holies. That's where we are. Well, that means a lot of things. One of the things it means is that we're entrusted with an awesome responsibility. We know that we're the holy of holies, that literally the Spirit of God dwells in us. We're the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. But look what it says in verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. God, entrust us. Me, you, me and women, boys and girls that have placed their faith in Christ with His Holy Spirit. God comes to live inside of us and He says if any man destroys that temple, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul said to the Corinthian believers that they were saints uh, by calling. They weren't acting like saints, but they were, uh, they were and are saints. And if we're here tonight... Uh, we may or may not be living right, uh, but if we know Christ, literally the Spirit of God lives and dwells in us. The Bible says God lives in eternity and in the hearts of those with a contrite spirit. That word there, Paul, in verse 17, when he says, if any man defile the temple, it literally means to bring corruption inside. And that's an awesome responsibility, Christian that the Holy Spirit of God lives in us and He's given us the responsibility, uh, the privilege to maintain that dwelling. Uh, I think about Lori and Robert that this church hired to, to keep this church grounds clean. And what a responsibility that is for the people of God so that we, when we come in here it can keep God's uh, buildings looking uh, good, and so that we'll have a clean place to sleep, uh, to see it and sleep. <laughs> Wait a minute, wake up now! A clean place to see it, and a clean place to go to the bathroom, and uh, a clean place to uh, to walk through. But you stop and think: God has given us the custodianship of His living quarters, and we're to keep those living quarters clean so that as God dwells in there, He doesn't have to look at, see, smell, taste, and feel corruption. And that's a responsibility, but it's also a privilege that He gives that to mere mortal men. We think about the sins that we're tempted to do, the sins that we're tempted to commit. And I know we're, t we're dealing with the, uh, with the cream of the crop here on a Sunday night. I understand all of that, but listen, just in the last few weeks, you look at the great men of, of God, men I've respected, men uh, that I've looked up to, men that I've read the books that they've written, people that we've went to Caswell and heard speak, and then find out that they're involved in gross uh, uh, sin, and, and those things can happen, and God says, keep my living quarters clean. When I was in the Marine Corps, that drill instructor, he walked by your bed and he, you know, they do them inspections and, you know, you see on TV uh, how they take that white glove and they put that white glove and they reach up under there and they see if there's any dust. Well, they really do that. <laughs> that ain't just what you see on TV. They really do. 
But now you stop. I'm not talking about that gross sin that we're seeing, though we know that's there and that can, we need to be uh, where we put on the whole armor of God and, and protect. But I'm talking about that thing where you're at work and something happens and the boss comes by and he asks you a question about it and boy, nobody would know about it and it'd be just easier to say, well, I don't know nothing about that. So that buck could get on past down the road. But really, you know, that's a little white lie when you say, I don't know nothing about that because you really do know nothing, something about that. I mean, those are the ones I'm talking about. And when we do something like that, it could be any number of things. Then when God walks by with that little white glove to check out his living quarters and he gets up under there where nobody's looking and there's a little dust under there, you see that's what he's talking about there defiling the living quarters of God and he's given us the awesome responsibility to keep those things clean and we ought to give it due diligence and think about it just exactly like God does so that his white glove will come out clean every time it also means that we'll let no defiling or corrupting teaching come into this congregation and I want to stop right there and say this. This past March, I've been here seven years. Time flies. It may have been good or bad. I don't know, but it goes by quick. But one thing I've strove to do since I've been here, and I hope you can agree and will agree with this, is that if I can't find it in this book, the principle, the truth, the teaching then they don't get saved and church I'm going to guard what thus saith the Lord through his word now I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings now but I'm just going to go ahead and tell the truth all across our nation all across our world there's peoples that call themselves churches that are letting the culture come in and defiling what thus saith the Lord. It's just in the past couple of weeks the Episcopalian church said they're going to start ordaining homosexual clergy. The United Methodist Church just this past year met in conference of whether they were going to start ordaining homosexual marriage and homosexual clergy. The United Church of Christ, thank God there was the version overseas, broke away, uh, are no longer going to teach that Jesus was God in the flesh. I want to say, as long as I'm your pastor, I'm going to teach what thus saith the Lord, whether people like it or whether they don't. I say that to say this. You remember what I... I read this morning there about in sufferings and persecutions and weakness because church the day may come when standing on the truth of God's word cost us something now for years for generations in America we've stood on the backs of the sacrifices that men and women made years and years ago and we've reaped the benefits of those sacrifices. I've told you about my grandpa serving in World War II and my dad serving in Vietnam and how I'm proud of them. And I don't know if I had any family 
back further than that that served in anything. They may have been in prison for all I know. But I know there's some people back there doing something because we whooped them British when nobody thought we could. And because of that, we've had the freedom to gather together and basically nobody's told us how we are supposed to do it. But that could change and change quickly. You're seeing right now in Canada, in England, the United Kingdom, where pastors are literally being thrown in jail for teaching what thus saith the Lord, and they're calling it hate speech. And you say, well, we live in America. We based our freedoms on what they already had. And they're just a few years ahead of us. I say all that to say this. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And I want to keep God's dwelling place and God's living quarters clean. And if it means that I've got to pay the price to stand firm to keep his living quarters clean, I'll pay that price because in eternity I'll be living with him in a place that don't get dirty. There's no dust there. There's no sin there. So I'll pay the price here so I don't have to pay the price over there and do everything that we can do. Now, we can't do that on our own. I understand that. That's a whole different sermon. We do that through the power of God as we let him live his life through us. But we've got something to say in the matter. We can choose to let God do it through us or we can choose to be disobedient. So we've got to know where we are. We're the temple of God. We're starting in a real good place. It ain't like me going to lift weights with Montana and he's way up here and I'm way down here. We're starting in a real good place, church. Factor number two, not only know who we are, but we've got to follow the right plan. Look what it says in verse number 18. I've got to hurry. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Not only do we have to know where we are, we've then got to follow the right plan. Uh, one of the things that uh, I've learned and, and learned with several of the people in here is doing that running plan, you know, that it's called couch to 5K. Probably a lot of you have heard it. I know some of you have actually done it or couch to 10K or whatever. It's a plan where you can literally go from not running a, a step, sitting on the couch, and if you follow that plan exactly within a certain prescribed period of time, you'll be running a 5K or a 10K or even a marathon. Uh, it helps to have a plan. I did that, and uh, if I didn't, then I'd liable to do something crazy that could end up hurting me or setting me back. Or, well, the Bible says here, let no man deceive, him, uh, deceive himself. If any seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Now, here's the key to that plan. For it is written... He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. But the key to that whole part, that whole uh, portion of Scripture there is, for it is written. 
The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. How does He direct our paths? He directs it through His Word. That's the plan of God for my life, for your life, for the life of the church. And as we follow that plan, we get stronger in the Lord, we grow in the Lord, and we can go from the couch to running a 10K for the Lord as we follow His plan. Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs 16, 25. The same verse, two different places in Scripture. I believe that's what Paul was talking about here. There's a way which seems right to a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. There's ways, God's ways don't make sense sometimes. But when we follow His plan in His Word, then He'll take us from where we are to the place of strength that He wants us to be, both individually and collectively. We do that patiently. We do it in prayer. We do it seriously and all of those kind of things. I'm going to close with this, though. Key number three. Not only do we have to know where we are, we've got to follow God's plan, but then we've got to keep our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus. Look what it says here in verse 21. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and ye are Christ. And Christ is God's. Keep our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus. You've heard these things that's been going around about this preacher that's getting up there and saying, the Lord said to me, uh, y'all supposed to give me $54 million and so I can go buy me a jet airplane. Uh, <clears throat> well, the Lord just told you to give me about 50000 so I can go buy me a new Cadillac. <laughs> yeah, that went over good, didn't it? I think that's what Paul's saying here, though. You see, the Corinthian church had their eyes focused on people and not on Jesus. They, had, they were focusing on the wisdom of this world and not on Jesus. They were focusing on things of this world and not on Jesus. I believe that's what Paul is talking about uh, don't focus on Paul or Paulus or Cephas. Look, God gave all of you, Corinthian church, me, Apollos, and Cephas. So, uh, you know, listen to all of us. But he also said, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. God's give us everything, so focus on Christ. And ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, I want to leave you with this. Do you remember over in Acts chapter number 17 Paul was speaking to the Berean church? Now I'm going to tell you, Paul was a biblical scholar. He could quote the Old Testament for hours in his mind. He had it memorized. He was a Pharisee taught in the school of Gamaliel, meaning he literally, to pass the test to get out of that school, would have to quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, the prophets. Not just verses like we do, but the whole books. Paul knew and understood those things. So this man knew so much. and God had gifted him. Well then, after Paul had his Damascus Road experience, he literally spent three years in the desert being taught by Jesus himself. 
Now that's those missing years, but you look over there and Paul said, I was taught by the Spirit of God personally during those years. He don't explain how that took place and what it looked like, but I believe the words of God literally taught Paul. He sat at the school of God and he said, Paul, here's what I want you to know and instructed him. But as Paul was preaching to those Berean believers, here's what the Bible says that they did and they were honored for. They listened to Paul. They heeded what Paul said. But then they went back and searched the scripture to see if what Paul had told them was the truth. I say that to say this, don't ever follow a man. Now I'll do my best never to lead you astray, but I'm a man. And I can fail. So it's your responsibility to check what I say with the scriptures to know whether these things be true. But I promise you, as you do that, you'll grow stronger in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time you've given us together. God, may your people grow strong in the Lord and the power of your might. In Jesus' name, amen.